Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Today, uh, Jens is not with us. He is not feeling so hot, so um, I am taking over the pod. Nothing to worry about on the COVID side, so everything's okay with uh, Jens on that front. Just uh, wasn't up to doing the, the pod right now. So I am doing a solo pod, which means I'm going to be jibber-jabbering for uh, a little while, talking uh, some stuff out uh, by myself. And uh, you'd be along for the ride. But we have a great guest on the program, Andy Watts. From uh, He's a blues guy from Israel. Uh, we had a great chat. And he has a new album called Super Groove, which uh, I recommend checking out. We'll get into that in, in just a little bit here. Uh, before we do, um, I, I want to take this episode and talk a little bit about the results of the election and kind of do a little reflecting on where we're at. Um, first off, um, I feel hope again, and that's really important. Um, I haven't felt hope in a, in a long time, you know, and uh, I can see a light on the t- at the end of the tunnel. 2020 has delivered a lot of shit to the uh, a lot of people in the world, uh, myself included. It's been a very difficult year between uh, distance learning and getting the kids back in school even a little bit, um, and uh, then um, being in the, the fires in the area and, uh, you know, being uh, kicked out of my house for uh, days on end where I need to stay in a hotel because of the fires, because of uh, smoke, that sort of thing. So much more. But, but you know, it, you know, everything on top of that that has, you know, been um, handled wrong by our current administration, let's say. Um, you know, has been really freaking stressful and I felt for so many people and so many lives lost uh, over, you know, coronavirus that didn't need to, that didn't need to be. Uh, there's, you know, definitely a better way that, that everything could have been handled. And, you know, and all of that's been said, all of that's, um, you know, I, I'm not going to say anything new there that ha- that hasn't been put out into the ethers and especially uh, people in California, Californians uh, really understand what, you know, what I'm talking about. Um, I've, I've felt divided from a lot of the country uh, in a, in a big sense because, um, because I don't understand how people can vote for Trump after everything that's gone down in the last four years and just say, well, he's done his best. Uh, you know, he did what he could. Uh, he, you know, and support him in this, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's an, it's crazy to me to think uh, about that. And, uh, and the fact that we're here now with the light at the end of the tunnel is so, uh, so great. But what I want to talk more about is my own personal reflection um, on uh, on how I've operated, you know, myself, you know, in um, in light of this presidency with uh, with my children. That's been um, something that I've, you know, I just kind of came to uh, a realization that I, I could have handled this differently. Um, I have a ten year old daughter and a seven year old son, and uh, and so. The the politics aren't talked about in my house. I don't talk about, you know, Trump at all um, much. I mean, outside of, you know, with my girlfriend and I talk about him, you know, with with my friends and everything. But um, but the news is never on the TV. Um, I never kind of really talk to my daughter about our president. And I realize that that's kind of eaten at me a little bit because I want I want a president that I can um, 
that I can respect, that I can uh, share you know, with my daughter, and she doesn't have to know everything politically necessarily, but that is someone to, that can be re respected um, and uh, in light of, you know, and that she can know who her president is and kind of say, yeah, okay, may, we may not agree uh, with everything that they stand for, but at least we can respect them as a person. And I haven't been able to do that with our, with our current president. Um, and... Uh, as I say this, I'm recording this part of the podcast, and I'm looking at my wall where um, it was at the end of the Obama term, and there was a uh, the, at the end of an issue of Rolling Stone, there uh, a picture of Obama's back that says, uh, "Show up, uh, dive in, stay at it. I will be right there with you as a citizen for all my remaining days." And that was. I mean, he was such a respectable leader and had such great leadership qualities and a positive person and did so much for so many people. And was he a perfect president? Was he perfect in everything he did? No. Did he accomplish everything he set out to? Maybe not. But but I, he did not drive this level of stress in me that, uh, you know, that I couldn't talk about him with, with my kids. And so I was, uh, after the results came in that, Biden will be elected our 46th president. Um, I, you know, I was texting, you know, some friends and I texted one friend and, uh, and was t uh, kind of going through talking about it. Um, and, and how I didn't feel like I could talk about him with my, with my children. And she said, you better talk to your kids about the, the disaster that is Trump. They need to know when our democracy was completely threatened uh, by that asshat and all of uh, the crooked GOP leaders. That's some important knowledge. Teach them young. Get them excited about our country and our government process. Point out the flaws and encourage them to create a better future for themselves and the generations to follow. Uh, our generation is fucked, and we have been since day one. We are the resilient group, and we have to teach our kids what not to do in American democracy. And that resonated with me a bit, right? And um, and so, but I still didn't know how to do it, right? How do I talk about them? And uh, and she said, honestly, I think it's about keeping them informed as these things unfold. Like share the excitement of the potential of the win for uh, for Biden. Explain why it's uh, important to you, and also explain in as basic terms as possible why the last president was so scary. Kids get the difference between good and bad. Pick the issues that you think they'd comprehend the most, like climate change, racism stealing, lying, uh, and explain how Trump and his cronies had a role in those topics. Explain how it's wrong and how it affects them. And I asked her about their kid and, uh, and who's just five years old and how, uh, if this, uh, she had communicated, if she'd been talking to him about it. And she said she was watching Biden's address this morning while I was drinking coffee and he came over, uh, to see what he was watching. He, at first he was all, ah, the news, the news is so boring, but she explained who he was and how she hoped he would become president of our country. She then explained that, uh, Trump was an evil man who lied, cheated, and stole from people. And she also told him that he doesn't uh, like people who don't look like him. Uh, then she asked him uh, how he'd feel if he uh, found out that a teacher or one of the adults in his life were mean and or unfair to him. And how he'd feel uh, if we were un uh, if her, his parents were unfair to him because of the color of his skin or because of his thoughts. Uh, he said he'd be angry and that he wanted to destroy him. Uh, and she said that she understood his anger, but the best way to defeat a person like that is with our vote, that uh, and our minds and hearts. 
she also told him that uh, though we uh, get so angry that we f- uh, feel like hurting with our hands, we need to fight that urge and put that energy toward our, our brains. So I, I really wanted to share that because it really resonated with me in a way that I hadn't considered it before. And I f- felt like I lost, you know, four years of being able to communicate this with my daughter, who I respect very much as a young lady. And I want to know her opinions. I want to know what she thinks of our current president. And, uh, and the whole situation because she picks up on it. She's in cl- uh, class even virtually. She uh, talks to f- uh, friends and texts with them sometimes. She's, she has another set of influences at her mother's house. You know, and, uh, you know, and they don't necessarily jive c- completely with my political views. So what is she taking away from from this uh, whole situation? And I, I want to include her in it. Uh, and I, I mean, it's a whole other topic to figure out how I'm going to communicate that with my my son because I don't think he, you know, is, you know, I don't and maybe I'm not giving him enough credit, but um, but but I can start the, you know, greasing the wheels of educating him as well about our, our political nature and, uh, and maybe start fresh with um, with our 46th president, which is uh, uh, Joe Biden. And and I can tell you that watching his acceptance speech um, was and uh um, Kamala Harris, uh, as well for vice president, was incredible. It was again. I can only liken it back to uh, a sense of hope, a sense of hope that I I feel for our future and and belief that we're going to push through this. Right, uh, the numbers are spiking for COVID, and uh, and that sucks. You know, it's it sucks that we're going through this next wave of, you know, this thing that is torturing us all. Nobody likes going out there and wearing masks, you know, having to uh, have a mask on everywhere they go. That's not fun. You know, so in a sense, we do this to our, ourselves, you know, in that uh, in, you know, when we go to when we kind of let loosen up our our reins a little bit. And I have to say, I've been, you know, guilty as well, because it's it could be from small little gatherings. I'm, you know, generally very careful about, um, you know, who I'm around, how close I am to people. If I'm wearing a mask, you know, I'm not perfect, but I uh, I try and be very careful with that. But I had a, you know, a little tiny birthday Halloween party for my son where uh, his mom and stepdad and um, and uh, younger brother uh, uh, came over, his uncle came over and my mom and sister, and that was it. And that was it. But that's a couple of separate households and, um, and combining it into, you know, one little gathering could, you know, initiate, uh, a COVID there. Someone could have COVID and not know it or have not, not have been careful and not, and their circles may be intertwined with other people, you know, in a way that they're, they're just not as careful or, you know, something happened that I'm not aware of. Right. And that's how it happens. And I, you know, I realized that I got to really tighten up the reins. I got to be super protective. I do get tested uh, every week um, because I get a test from work, which is really cool. So it gives me kind of that confidence that, okay, um, you know, I'm being safe and uh, and I haven't, you know, gotten COVID uh, yet. And, um, you know, and, you know, if, if I do get it, I'm going to know really quickly, right? I have the ability to know really quickly. But, um, but yeah, it could happen at any point. And, um, and it's, it, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. And I want to see an end to it. I want to get back to a sense of normalcy. And I know it's going to take a while to get there. Uh, but, um, but I have hope. 
I have hope, and I wish everybody you know in the listening audience has hope as well uh, and is able to find hope. And whether you agree politically or or not, you know, know that um, know that there will be brighter days ahead. Um, and, uh, and, and that's what I'm hoping for everybody. So that's my spiel on the election. That's where I'm at right now. Uh, really super excited about what's to come and, uh, and happy to share that with the concert pipeline audience. Um, I do want to say up ahead, you know, we do have some new shows coming up as well, which I'm really excited about. Um, next week we have an, uh, artist, uh, who goes by, uh, animal weapon. Uh, he's going to play a couple of songs, uh, for the podcast as well, uh, which is really cool. That was fun. And we have, our biggest guest in a long time, which uh, which is super cool. I was really uh, excited to get this interview, and that is uh, the Lumineers. We're going to have the Lumineers on Concert Pipeline. Uh, I got a chance to talk to Jeremiah Freights from uh, the Lumineers, and we had a great long chat about um, his new album, Piano Piano, uh, which comes out January 22nd. So that'll be a lot of fun. Good stuff to come for sure. Uh, and uh, all that coming up. Right now, again, we're, uh, we have Andy Watts on the program. New album is uh, Super Groove. Uh, we talk, got to talk to him from Israel, which is another cool thing about how we're doing the podcast right now, where we're, we are, um, we get to talk to artists from all over the world. I mean, they could be in our backyard or uh, um, on the other side of the world and get to have really great conversations about their music and where they're at, how they're being affected by um, by COVID and how their life has changed and, you know, and the music that they're making. A lot of them make, you know, taking this opportunity to really be productive and um, and make new and great music. So that's what we got. Um, let's go ahead and bring Andy Watts in uh, on the program. Here he is. Hello. Hey, how's it going? This is Steve Jones. Is this Andy? Hi, this is Andy Watts. Today I'm 100 Watts. How are you? <laughs> hey, I'm doing great, thanks. How are you doing? All, all good, man. All good. Gearing up, always. Yeah, okay. So uh, so you're in Israel, right? That's right. Oh. Uh, I'm, from, I'm from Israel and uh, a blues musician. Excellent. And um, I assume uh, maybe have... Uh, Heard my my latest album, Super Groove, is just out. Oh yeah, I yes, I have heard it, and I was even just listening to it this uh, this past hour again. You know, I was jamming to it, so <laughs> uh, I dig it. It's, that's, it's oh, thanks. That, that's cool. That's cool. This yes, uh, quite a few musicians on it. Ten tracks, you know. Um, some um, of my blues buddies that have been performing with over the years, like Joe, Joe Louis Walker, um, Kenny Neal. Uh, they performed together. He also co-produced this album. Yeah. So, so tell me about uh, working with Kenny. Like, uh, what was the dynamic, and how did uh, how did that relationship start out? Um, Kenny, um, I, I have had a, the fortune to uh, the good fortune, I would say, to uh, perform with a rather many uh, American blues heroes over the years: uh, Johnny Winter, Lucky Peterson, Bernard Allison, and. Uh, Kenny Neal uh, um, knew Joe, Lewis Walker, quite well, and uh, Joe had been here for like three times already. So um, it was it was destined to happen. So Kenny came over to Israel. We had some really great shows together. The dynamics on the stage, off the stage, you know, chemistry, and uh, we also spent a wonderful day in Jerusalem together. 
And um, he listened to some of the music that I was working on from, uh, from a new album. And um, he particularly liked the phrasing of uh, Don't Take My Blues Away. Uh, he said, everyone got rid of the blues, and you say, don't take it away. That's good. I, I like that. And uh, see, it developed slowly, and uh, he ended up co-producing the album. Hey, you don't want to take those blues away, right? So <laughs> you want to keep uh, keep no them away, man. That, you can take anything you want. Th- that's where but the music is. Blues, <laughs> <laughs> and and so uh, so, tell me a little bit about kind of your music uh, taste. Kind of growing up as a kid, I know you you listened to blues even when you were a kid, which I think is pretty rare because that's usually something you kind of grow into, right? Yeah, for some reason, I listened to uh, music. Uh, I got caught on. Hendrix pretty early. Uh, something in, in the dynamics and in, in the music really appealed to me as a as a twelve year old kid listening to blues programs. At that time, you listen on radio, overseas program. Something in the news and the blues appealed to me. The the freedom, the openness, the uh, not having a particular format. Um, at that time, you don't listen so much, maybe particularly to the lyrics. You listen to the vibe, and I think something with the blues that I, I think, I, I, I hope it's not a cliche, but I said, I mean, either you got the blues or you don't. It's not something you can really learn. You have to, blues is a feeling. It, it's, um, it's a way to, to play. I don't think you really can go to school and learn how to play the blues. It's something that you have inside you. You identify with the music, and it's a very free art form, you know? That, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, and so, I mean, were your parents playing blues music in, in the household when you were growing up, or did you just kind of stumble upon it, like, with friends? As a matter of fact, yes. My, I was blessed with uh, the parents who were very much into culture and, um, and um, I listened to, uh, uh, of course, Elvis, B.B. King, uh, Johnny Cash, you know, all these kind of things, classic music, too. And, uh, and jazz, a lot of jazz. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, widen your uh, perspective on music. And, uh, and I look at the music I like to do, and on the albums, I must say that it has ingredients of um, rock and roll. I do like the early 70s rock and roll, American James Gang, this kind of music too, I must say. Uh, also the jazzy and the, the Steve Ray Vaughan's openness of... Uh, Riviera Paradise and, and this, this kind of music. So it, it's some psychedelic elements on, on this album too, yeah. as you maybe heard. Oh, totally, totally. And and you talk about kind of the the culture of it, right? Like, so um, how is the how is the music culture in Israel changed from when you were a kid to to now? Well, it has changed quite. A, I think at that time, I look thirty years back. Uh, definitely, they also had a channel at that time out in the sea in Tel Aviv called The Voice of Peace, uh, which basically was an, an offshore, they could say it was not allowed to have commercials on radio at that time, so it was it, it was a, it's a ship outside the, the nautical limits and the international waters, and they were broadcasting all the great rock and roll, loose music you can hear, and they could put finance that with commercials. Obviously, a lot of DJs coming over from America and the UK, they complained of being on the sickle, uh, on the field at the time of the winter storms. It wasn't so pleasant, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, 
but uh, uh, the music that came here then, very more influenced by America. Now commercials are allowed in Israel, so yes, the tendency of the radio has been more Middle Eastern, and I cannot say that blues is, is uh, mainstream music in Israel, no way. I, I'm, but I do have a lot of following, and uh, I do quite big concerts, and uh, my live show is exactly what you hear on the, on the album. It's a nine-ten-piece band with the whole horn section, trombone, trumpet, saxophone, B3 Hammond. I have two singers with me, so uh, it's a big band. Yeah, and, and so when did you uh, start your first band, or when did you join your first band? Um, my first band was really playing with uh, uh, as a 13-year-old kid. You know, you got your first six-string, uh, small amp, uh, testing the limits of your mother, you know, when you know that you're looking at the, the volume knob, you know, she's coming now. No, now she's coming. Right. Know? So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's the same with your wife now, this day, but it's bigger amps. Um, uh, look, um, you start as a third kid, you're a kid out, you play with the band, you develop, and somehow early on, I found out that I actually like more songwriting, making your own music, uh, than to really do covers. And if you do covers, I find it more interesting to do a cover that is not copy-paste. Put your own vibe into it, put your own stamp on it, put the vibe of the music that you have that, that rhymes with the music that you write yourself. And that's the approach I have had all the years when I make albums, including the last one. Yeah, and on the, on the last album you did some uh, Freddie King classics on it as well. So how how did you choose those songs that you uh, to bring into your album? I'm listening to this music that has been influencing me over the years. If I look at the covers, if you mention of Freddie King, like he has a tremendous album called Burglars. And Freddie King, I mean, he really uh, at the height of his I don't say his career, but pretty young. Um, he reminds me a bit of Michael Burke who also died pretty pretty early. I was not a great guitarist. But King had his massive, you know, Texas bomb attack to the very dominant voice and one of the big inspirations for, for Clapton too. Uh, this one, Pack It Up, on this album, Burglar, it's, um, it's, a, it, it's a good vibe in it. It has a horn section. I do choose songs that I feel I can integrate a horn section without doing copy paste. You, you need to stay true to the song. And uh, I felt I got a, enough freedom to put my own um, mix on it that, that it's suitable without doing copying all the, the predicting licks, but make it work somehow. Yeah, and and so uh, let's talk about a couple of the people you work with uh, on the album, right? So you uh, you mentioned Joe Lewis Walker. Um, we've had him on the podcast a couple of times. He's a great guy. Uh, so uh, how was working with him um, on this album? And I think you worked with him in the past, right? Oh yeah, uh, Joe. We go back uh, six, seven years. He's been here uh, many times. Coming over with his wife, we had a great time. Had great shows sold out every time. Uh, on this particular, he, he was also sh- actually doing the vocals on my previous album, uh, on the title track, Blues on Fire, that I released in 2018. 
uh, he did the title track. This album he's doing Burning Deep, which is um, uh, you got a, a, the blues burning deep inside of me, and that's 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 uh, a, a blues. I don't say ballad, but it's a blues. Uh, I think you do a tremendous uh, vocal job on this one. It's it's a, it's a song that I wrote, and um, I was very pleased that uh, Joe liked it, and I think he did a, a great job on it. And um, as you say, the, the eyes tell a lie, but the blues tell the truth, as you see. That's that's what it's all about. Yeah, and, and so did he uh, record in Israel with you, or did you go back and forth via email, sending tracks? What did, what did that look like? What I have, uh, that's basically the same. I'm, to tell you the truth, I'm about to start very soon going to the studio with my next album, um, this time, you know, with Corona, no live scene around global thing, you know. Yeah. Um, it's been productive for me to be a bit reflective, um, buy some new music. I have 10 songs ready to start elaborating in the studio. And um, uh, when you're working, you know, you, you, are, you are having the idea developing the song i work with the band in this particular case yes i recorded the music first have everything ready i also put the horn session in to give that extra punch because i wanted to deliver it ready so i know that joe will be fired up and he was best so he got everything ready and he recorded the vocals in new york city Nice. Okay, and uh, and you also uh, you had Eliza Niels on uh, Blues of the Month Club. Um, tell me about working with Eliza. Uh, Eliza, I uh, was um, recommended by Joe actually, and uh, I find it very suitable because I used to play this song live with Joe, Blues of the Month Club, which is a song that he released I think way back in '95, '96, one of his albums. It's one of his better known songs, and. Um, I felt that that, you know what, I'm going to go in, try that out in the studio, add a horn section, make minuscule changes to it, but change the vibe of the guitar, change the, the way we play. I'm playing a less pull there. And uh, uh, with the years, I play maybe less notes, but try to emphasize the more with, with a bigger sound. And that's what I want to achieve with this particular recording. And I think that Eliza Neal's stone great vocal job on that one. This was just right up around here. It's a female voice in this one, which is actually normally sung by, by Joe, obviously. It worked, I think. It did, it did. I really like it. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great track. Thanks. Oh. Thanks, man. I forgot to mention one thing, is that regarding the song's cover, I can only mention that I did, I have been influenced by Peter Green since I'm a kid, basically. One of my guitar heroes. And I wanted to, as the name of the album was Super Groove, I decided to add with another Super Natural. I found that that was a suitable ending to, to cruise out of the, of the album. Oh, yeah. And, 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 um, and I recorded just before he, before he died, so that was, uh, it was somehow a tribute to him. Oh, that's that's awesome. You know, I was I was thinking the same thing. I mean, with, uh, hearing Supernatural at the end of the the album, I mean, it just kind of like uh, the the album has so many great punches, and then uh, kind of ending with Supernatural, it just like you said, it cruises out. It's a it, it's a good you know slide into the end of the album. I, I like it. I much appreciate it. that was the idea. 
I saw the super group, which basically is a song written by me, which is uh, based and inspired by uh, Johnny Winters' way of walking, and Freddie King, uh, um, Albert Collins, all played instrumentals before they started to sing. All these guys are great vocalists. They started out in the early, the late 50s, 60s with instrumentalists, you know? Yeah. And uh, the Texas blend was always, uh, I had actually the fortune to spend an afternoon with Johnny, Johnny Winters, just before he passed, and they told me he had his band with there, saxophone, guitar, bass, and drum. And uh, I had it in mind when I wrote Supergroup. I said, catch a riff, put a big baritone sounding like a, like a big boat, right? Uh, boat siren on it. And um, kicking off, the, it's like a kicking off a show, you know, instrumentals. And then end the album with, uh, with Supernatural. And to add some extra ambience, I put in uh, a bit of trumpet, as you heard, just to, and some B3 Hammond too, you know, to, to change it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so I want to ask you um, when you um, when you record, you know, the blues. I mean, it's I think it's kind of different when you bring it on stage. Like, I feel like the blues is you know a lot more free uh, on stage. It's a lot more loose, right? Like, what is what is your approach when you kind of you're kind of taking your songs and kind of making them live? I pre- I appreciate that question. That's that's a very interesting question. I actually had an interview from Greece the other day, and that. For some reason, I don't rehearse in my head what I go. I go up in the stage and I play. I, I must tell you, I don't have a clue what I'm going to play. I'm simply close. Of course, I know the songs. But I mean, when you play a solo, when you go, I feel the energy of the crowd. I feel the energy of the band. I feel where we are. And I, I, and I simply synchronize the thing. And I go with the flow. And I let, I feel that you have a musical pause ahead of you. And you just walk. Once... After some time when you play, I think you develop as a musician, you dare, you do. You don't feel limited that you have all this to think that people look at you and you're afraid to make mistakes. Play. You sometimes make mistakes, of course, but that's, that's part of the blues, you know. Just play, you know. Stretch your limit. Just, just go for it, you know. Widen your perspective when you play, and you'll be re- you will, you will be rewarded. Yeah. What, tell me about some of the some of your favorite um, gigs that you've played. Some some of the favorite shows. Like what a, what is the dynamic and what made them special for you? Well, I I, I really like uh, festivals and I like the uh, I remember Slim said the most fun I ever had. There was only two people in the room. You know. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Sold out crowd, huh? <laughs> but but, but I, 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 if I have to say yes, there's a difference between playing the big festivals, which is great, the vibe is always, this sounds like a different life today, you know? Looking at Corona today, I said, what happened? Can we turn back the clock? Am I still dreaming? Where, where, where's all the gigs? It will come back. Maybe it'd be different than it was, but... Um, Yes, I had some big festivals here in Israel. I played some great festivals in Germany. Festivals is, is really something I like to do. And uh, again, when you're playing intimate club show, there may be a hundred people in the audience that are tight. It's, it's crazy to say that in these Corona times when they're basically standing in your face. In the club. But it is also something that you feel energy, something that. That is um, what the blues is all about—intimacy. Sometimes, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, 
tell me about the crowds you know that you've played at um, at festivals like um blue, you know playing the blues like you said playing blues to you know an intimate club is you know i mean got to be a different dynamic so do you kind of take a different approach when you're playing a festival maybe at noon you know as opposed to you know uh, in the evening in yeah, a blues the volume. club if i say the difference today today some of the kids when you come in like me uh my name is Watts, so I sometimes play 50 watts, sometimes 100 watts. When I come with my 100 watts marshals to, to kids that don't maybe have too much experience in making sound, yes, that's a different because sometimes when you come to the smaller clubs, obviously you have to know how to balance your volume. I mean, I play loud, which is, doesn't make me unique. A lot of guitar players play loud, as you know. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, it's all about getting uh, hitting that note. You want to be in the zone. You need to, to to be there to inspire you. You need the good sound. If you don't have a good sound, it doesn't matter how fast you play, how good you play. You must have a good sound, and and you start painting the musical atmosphere from there. So so, so sure you have to to uh, when you are big festivals. That's not a big deal because you have normally good peer systems uh, that can transparent that, that the challenge in a smaller place is to get as good sound as you have in your amplifier. You need to get out in the PA system. And that's where you need a good sound man. Because sound man can sometimes be the make it or break it for good gigs, as you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, so we're talking about you know, uh, coronavirus a little bit, right? And so, uh, how is that? Tell me about the experience of how that impacted you and um, and Israel. You know, I'm I'm I, obviously I'm I'm in the states uh, and things are a lot different here. But um, but what's the impact been for you? Well, the world the the, the show business basically shut down the first of March here. I did my last big thing, 11th of March, and haven't had any shows since then. Um, and we were, I was, we were in a role. I did decent amount of shows, sold out every time, which is a pleasant thing, of course. And um, now, restarting, I'm busy. I have uh, made clips, nice clips of every song on the album that are out I try to be creative, writing uh, new music, and of course, anticipating to see if we're coming back, I might have to uh, scale down. I cannot expect the company to become with a 10 piece band every time. I might have to go out in a trio or in a foursome and, and see how they will open up. Because at the moment, uh, we are basically in Israel on a lockdown when it comes to the entertainment industry, and it probably remains so for. For, for at least another month, as it looks at, at present time. Yeah, are people taking it pretty seriously there? Are you know they they still uh, wearing masks and like what's the what's the dynamic there? We need to wear masks. There's always some sectors of the public that are a bit you know for this to work, there must be some kind of a teamwork. When you have something like this hitting, you have to have the sum of of all, all the people working together for a common cause, you know. Uh, I think that people have seen now that Corona can be pretty nasty. Some people don't feel it, some get really sick for, well, we will probably know that later on. And uh, But it's, it, it, it is something serious, and it's something that obviously 
until we have a vaccine, we probably have to have some kind of restrictions in closed areas. This is just us looking. I hope it's going to pass soon. Yeah, I mean, really. you know, uh, obviously, I mean, here in the United States, you know, it's very mixed, right? I mean, there's a lot of people who do take it seriously, but under uh, a leadership that um, isn't, right? And today being election day, I mean, it's we're going to see which way the wind blows as far as moving forward, because this can extend on for a long time, or we can, you know, really take it seriously and you know, and try and try and you know tackle it, right? So it's it's a scary thing. Yeah, it's a political hot potato, I guess, everywhere in the world, including Israel. It's something that is on the news every day. It, a lot of the decisions that are made regarding Corona is made on political basis, less medical. This is, you know, it's, 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 it's politics involved, I guess, in every place regarding Corona in every country in the world at the moment. Seems like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, I wanted to ask you also about, um, you know, opening for Johnny Winter. You opened for him, I think, like seven years ago. Um, tell, tell me about that experience. I, I, I imagine it was pretty, uh, pretty special to you. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. He came here and, uh, and uh, we had the pleasure to hanging a whole, uh, whole uh, for five, six hours together. And um, he was blessing one of my my Les Pauls with a Lifetime of Mojo, which I like. He liked the guitar, and he, he we spoke about blues. He spoke about playing. He spoke about Woodstock. And I reminded him that he got six hundred thousand dollars as a sign up artist in '69, which is pretty much for to sign up an artist, right? Yeah. <laughs> in '69, you know. <laughs> And and he said, well, you know, money is not everything, and uh, I'm happy to play, and I just want to keep going. And uh, the guy, Paul Nelson, who was with him, and I said, look, he he looks he looks, uh, he, he looks uh, like he can add a couple of pounds. I told the Paul. Well, when I met him, he, he was he was he was thirty pounds less. He told. Me. <laughs> <laughs> he gained. He was in okay health. Uh, he was sitting at the gig. And um, unfortunately, a few months uh, later, he, he passed in in Austria. Yeah, yeah, it's quite quite a loss. But it was, I mean, but you had a moment with him, and I'm, you know, and uh, and that's pretty cool, right? So. Yeah. Wow. That's that's I that's that's that I really treasure that. It was a lot of you know. He was very open, very. He was so down to earth and so. Um, honest and it was a, it was a pleasure sitting and just chilling with him you know afternoon talking blues playing guitar we played some guitar together it was great yeah um so you, you had mentioned hendrix earlier and i know stevie ray vaughn is an inspiration of yours do you ever get to see um either of them live no unfortunately i have a lot of friends that have seen hendrix that have met hendrix i know a guy in uh, uh, in Europe, that used to have him sleeping in his in his in his apartment when he was playing there. So, yeah, you know, uh, I know a lot of, of people have been around him and worked with him, but no, I never seen Hendrix live. And unfortunately, I was close to see uh, Stevie Ray live. It didn't work out, and uh, as we know, it was very unfortunate that he. But I understood. The rumor said that Clapton gave up his seat 
in the shop from him because he wanted to go to see his girlfriend in Chicago. I don't know if that's true, but unfortunately that chopper hit hit a mountainside and and, and uh, that was a tragic uh, accident. Yeah, the Stevie. Yeah. Um... Well, uh, Andy, uh, tell tell me a little bit about your upcoming album. You said you're already working on it. So, what do, what do you got cooking, and uh, what what does it look like right now? What I'm doing is that I'm uh, having a obviously inspired. I, I feel the lyrics when I write lyrics. I write gray. I say I don't write black and I don't like white. I write gray, meaning that it's up to the listener to 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 interpret and and take. Uh, Take into account what it what it makes sense to him, and um, uh, obviously it has been influenced of the general situation of Corona. But I don't give clear messenger like a lockdown blues or quarantine blues or Corona blues or this kind of thing. I'm writing in general things and try to integrate the lyrics. Uh, I have been working on some. Normally, I'm working on some good licks that I like or some vibe of a song and then different keys, different tunings. And then I see here I want to add a horn section. Here I want to have cello. I have a, I have a pretty, uh, if I may say, badass riff coming up that I want to add a section in, you know, to, to widen, to, to go outside the box, you know, not all the time to be stuck in, in some kind of a 12-bar format. Um, widen the concept. So... Uh, um, the the album is going to be a mix of uh, blues, uh, some psychedelic, some rock and roll, jazzy, ambience, some flowing music. That's what I'm working on. Nice, I like it. Well, if there's one genre of music that uh, that can be impacted positively by a Corona, it's got to be the blues, right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's for sure. But the blues is something that is good. Because you can say blues is something that you use to weather and, and, and you know, get a, get a lot of your feelings and frustration out. Maybe so, but I like it as a free art form because of that. It's freedom. Blues is freedom. Uh, it's freedom to be and play how you want it to be. Because Howlin' Wolf said, when everyone wants to argue what's the blues, how blues is said, Howlin' Wolf said, the blues is when you cannot pay rent. And everything else is music. That's what he said. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so as we uh, go out here, Andy, uh, can you share something? You know, something really positive that's happened to you over the past uh, couple of months that we've been in this kind of interesting, changing, you know, dynamic that Corona has brought onto us. I felt that I had uh, time to suddenly, without feeling the pressure of all the time being out, being uh, in show business, make sure that the shows are out. Suddenly. <sighs> can chill and you had suddenly time to sit and play and go through the different guitars I I have I was fortunate to get some great guitars when but still deep you know yeah <laughs> so I had some good guitars go over that combine listen to this guitar and this amp changing working working a riff and suddenly I felt whoa I got more time now without the pressure to to really go in and double checking over again of the songs playing. And I was also, uh, I found two amps in the last months, made some trading, 
that I probably wouldn't have found if the world was not on a lockdown. So do I say Corona is great? No, I don't think so. But, you know, everything you do in life, you have to try to pick the cherries in the cake, you know, to look positive, to come through this, and hopefully you come through this stronger, really, somehow. You must do that. You always have to, to keep the face, you know, looking positive. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what we got to do, right? I mean, because there's there's so much negativity out there, we just got to push it away with the positivity because, look, we got our health, we got, you know, we got music, we could still make and listen to music, and, um, you know, there's so much to be grateful for outside of that, you know, I mean, uh, so I, I think that's a great approach, and, and I'm glad you, you know, you were able to get some, some cool amps there, and, um, and uh, yeah, Andy, thank you for taking the time today. I, like I said, I really love the the album uh, Super Groove. It's a uh, it's I so much appreciated, Steve Johnson. I hope everyone just enjoy the music. You know, Super Groove is a, it's an album to enjoy. It's a musical journey in it. You know, and uh, I appreciate all the fantastic musicians that were on it. And Kenny Neal, your Lil Walker, Eliza Mills, and Everbomb there, and Bistone Label, Boga Label, man. That's, it's, it's great to have the album being a blues artist from Israel on, on, on a U.S. label. That, that that's a great thing for me. I am very, I very much appreciate that. Yeah, very cool. All right, well, Andy, uh, you have a great rest of your day, and uh, I look forward to hearing the, uh, your next album when it comes out as well. Thank you so much, Steve. It was a pleasure talking to you. Back at you. You have a good one, okay? Thank you. Bye bye. That was the interview with Andy Watts here on Concert Pipeline. And that takes us to the final segment on the program, which is the music news. All right, I got uh, just a couple stories for today, um, keeping it kind of light. Um, but I want to start out with uh, a kind of a double story about Kanye West. Um, he uh, is facing a $1 million lawsuit from workers at a, a live opera show, um, and uh, he allegedly failed to pay their wages. Uh, he's accused of owing upright, excuse me, unpaid wages and failing to pay minimum wage and overtime when he hosted a series of shows at the Hollywood Bowl last year. So he premiered the opera in December 2019, weeks after debuting his gospel album, Jesus is King. And there are documents that were obtained by The Blast that reveal that Kanye and promoters Live Nation are being sued by employees and a hair assistant on the production who alleges she is owed unpaid wages, continuing wages, damages, civil penalties, uh, statutory penalties, and attorney's fees and costs. So uh, she said her day rate was paid late, other employees faced charges, uh, with getting their checks. Um, it's also claimed that Kanye failed to properly compensate dozens of employees, including performers from his show, which is not cool. you got to take care of your people. That's one of the most important pieces of having a business is supporting your people, right, that, that, are, that are there to support you. Uh, you got to take care of them. And when you're Kanye and you have all the money in the world, what the fuck is your problem? Just, like, do it. Just pay your people, right? Um Defendants oversaw, controlled, and ran the production, and the aggravated employees worked many hours on the production and were not timely uh, paid for their work or paid at all, the document states. Kanye and his teams are, have yet to respond, but it is important to note that we'll, we'll give Kanye some credit in that he conceded defeat in the presidential race, uh, taking to Twitter to announce his withdrawal. 
Uh, he formally ended his campaign shortly after midnight on Wednesday uh, by posting an image of a map of the United States with his states shaded in according to those that have thus far been won by fellow candidates Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Despite his loss, he managed to win some 50,000 votes, um, 10,000 of which were secured in Tennessee. Uh, and he has also confirmed plans to run again once more in 2024. So Kanye is not done. He's just getting started, apparently. And we will uh, hear from him again. What I never got was how he was running for president in some states, but then he was on the California ballot as a vice presidential candidate. Like, how does that work? And what was the end goal? Was it to shake things up and um, and kind of pull some votes in that um, to, uh, or away from Biden? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it, but um, but he's going to uh, try and run again, apparently. Um, I'll tell you that I, uh, he did uh, an interview on the Joe Rogan podcast, and I, I only made it through the first five minutes of it, to be honest. Like, uh, Joe was asking him about, you know, what he would do differently, why um, what he wanted to accomplish. And he, you know, he said he was, uh, you know, a, fo a forward thinker and, um, and that he— uh, and that God told him to run back in 2015, uh, uh, told him to run in 2020, so he he did, and uh, he didn't really answer the question about what he would do differently. So, uh, you know, it seems like a bit of a publicity stunt, right? Um, so uh, that is the story on Kanye. Um, my next story is about the 2020 Rock uh, and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, so... Um, Iggy Pop, um, he inducted um, a band called Nine Inch Nails uh, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and um, he praised them uh, as uh, dark and lonely party music, and master artist uh, Trent Reznor uh, as the Stooges singer welcomed the Downward Spiral band into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He said, listening to Nine Inch Nails' music, which is so often called industrial. I actually hear a lot of funk, he said in his induction speech. Just listen to Closer. And the foundation could be Stevie Wonder or George Clinton. Um, uh, but on top of that is a focused and relentless process of emotional destruction, which paints a portrait of pain, pressure, and dissatisfaction. He continued, it's the soundtrack to the dark and lonely party that was beginning to play out in America at that period. Um, Pop, who's a, a magnetic frontman in his own right, also compared Rentner, uh, excuse me, Reznor to uh, Mark Bolin, Kurt Cobain, and Bob Dylan, each of whom had the ability simply to connect with their audience. Uh, due to the coronavirus pandemic, of course, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony was virtual with Depeche Mode, the Doobie Brothers, Whitney Houston, Nine Inch Nails, the Notorious B.I.G., and T-Rex inducted during an HBO special on November 7th. Uh, so I'm not sure how many people watched that, when, you know, when it was uh, probably around the same time as the uh, acceptance speech, but I'm sure it was able to be uh, streamed later as well. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, did also pay tribute to Eddie Van Halen during its 2020 induction ceremony. Uh, Slash, Kurt Hammett of Metallica, and Tom Morello reflected on the legacy of the late rocker during a pre-taped event uh, special that was broadcast on HBO and HBO Max and featured video of the guitarist in action. Uh, Eddie Van Halen was a truly gifted musician, said Slash. His style and his sound were completely unique to him. He had a massive impact on guitar playing, and I don't think there's anybody who has picked up a guitar since 1978 who hasn't been touched in some way by Eddie Van Halen's influence. 
I really miss his playing and I really miss him as a friend. Eddie Van Halen was amazing, added Hammett. Not since Jimi Hendrix has there been a guitar player that has had so much impact and been inspiring to me. Uh, He just explored the most simplest thing, a harmonic on a string, and uh, brought it into a realm of technique that nobody even thought was possible. He was just like from a different planet. Eddie Van Halen was the Mozart of our generation, shared Morello. He had the kind of talent that maybe comes around once in a century. Eddie Van Halen inspired me to practice 20,000 hours to try and get within 100 miles of his inspired mastery of the electric guitar, which is amazing, right? I mean, that's just incredible to hear from Tom Morello that he was an inspiration like that. Of course, Eddie passed away in Santa Monica Hospital on October 6th at the age of 65 after a lengthy battle with cancer, Um, and he was uh, featured as part of the Rock uh, Hall Specials in in memoriam, excuse me, review, which also honored other rock and roll legend who died over the past year and a half, uh, including Little Richard, Rush drummer Neil uh, Peart, Rick Akosik of the Cars. Uh, cream drummer Ginger Baker and several others. So, um, I mean, pretty, pretty, pretty uh, powerful event there. Um, ACDC legend Angus Young says that it's hard to guess when the band will be able to return to the road to support the forthcoming album Power Up. Yeah, yeah, I would say it is actually hard to guess when they will be back on the road um, because they're really probably not going to be playing audiences uh, small enough to um, to be able to not have um, a COVID scare, right? So Angus and, uh, and frontman Brian Johnson spoke with Radio.com about the new album and discussed the possibility of hitting the road to promote it during the age of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Young had this to say about touring. I'm just hoping some medical Einstein will come up with a magical potion and go, hey, it just so happens I've got it in my top pocket. Here it is. I might even settle for uh, the snake of a salesman. Johnson said about releasing the album, let's do something that's going to make the world forget their troubles for a couple of hours listening to this album. Without getting too deep or philosophical about it, it's been a shit year. Uh, Yep, Brian Johnson, I would agree. It has been a shit year. (laughs) All right. Um, Okay, so I uh, have one more story, and it's a story featuring uh, a great musician that we talk about pretty much every podcast um, in some capacity, and that is Mr. Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters. Uh, so they have uh, they were featured on SNL uh, the this past week, and um, they streamed a new song uh, to coincide with that and announced a new album. So um, they announced their 10th album that, and shared the first single from the effort, a track called Shame Shame, which is now streaming online. We'll play just a just a little snippet of uh, of this uh, the song here, so you can get a feel for the new Foo Fighters music.
night. It's, it feels kind of like a power pop rock ballad. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't feel like normal Foo Fighters, and so I'm holding out some uh, some kind of prejudice a little bit. Um, I guess I let a little slide, but because I am, am a big Foo Fighters fan, and I think that everything that Dave Grohl touches turns to gold. Um, but <laughs> uh, but. That's Shame Shame off their new album, um, and it's gonna. The new album is gonna be entitled uh, "Medicine at Midnight" and is scheduled to hit stores on February fifth, twenty twenty one. Um, it's a nine track album produced by the band along with Greg Kirsten. Uh, it was engineered by Daryl Throp and mixed by Mark Spikestent. Uh, so they released the track listing uh, for Shame Shame and. Uh, and perform that song on Saturday Night Live, as well as an epic, epic uh, performance of Times Like These, which you have to check out. So uh, the the performance of Shame Shame was cool, but check out the performance of Times Like These uh, that the Foo Fighters did on SNL. It was truly epic. Um, Dave Chappelle hosted, and um, it was, you know, not a bad episode overall, but, but the Foo Fighters times like these was was really amazing so uh, i was really impressed by it um so that is the show for today hopefully jens will be back uh, next week for uh, our next episode which um, as i said is an artist named animal weapon uh and thank you for listening i appreciate it you know not easy to just listen to one person talking the whole time but uh it wasn't the whole time i had a guest and it was a good episode so thank you for listening all right for all of us here at concert pipeline i'm steve jones we'll catch you next time